We are so blessed as a parish to have Ruth Murdoch Elementary School in our parish. Man, we must never take for granted that, that uh, fine institution. And the kids that come out of it, boy, I got their names here, Ava, Luke, Sebastian, Autumn, Jonah, Daniel, Ryan, and Peter from the seminary. They just make us proud. Thank you, singers. It's kind of a nostalgic day today. Next Sabbath will be our last uh, service together. Only in second service, by the way. So we had our last uh, first service uh, this morning. And uh, I think in the next seven days, it's just the last of everything. The last time I ride in a car, the last time I (laughs) think of you, the last time I hum on the way to work, the last time I whistle, (laughs) whatever. This has just been one long goodbye. I'm giving a shout out to the, the, the incredible team that planned this, but this has been going on since um, April, and uh, it'll all come to an end uh, next week. Speaking of nostalgia, I'm telling you, oh, by the way, I need to say a word about the tent. Uh, ben Martin is our youth pastor, and he's done a bang-up job, and this is the 10th year that the tent has been holding these evangelistic meetings, and I'm telling you, it's one of our huge feeders for young Christians, baptized, newly baptized young Christians. And so Pastor Ben, he was in first service, but we give you a shout out. Thank you for the hard work that you've done. And tonight, five o'clock, come on, five o'clock. Then another preacher at seven o'clock, don't miss either one. Come out for them both and get blessed real good. But it is a nostalgic day because 40 years ago, right now, I'm sitting on a little bench up here because they had benches in those days. And I'm holding this very, this is the actual one. I'm holding this in my hand. This is the actual one. Yeah. I never lose this. So this is, uh, what's the date on it? May 14, 1983. Wow. This is May 13 today, 2023. I went to Google yesterday and I said, hey, Google, how many days has it been since uh, we started here? And Google... She kicked out the answer, 14,609 days. Man, yeah, it makes you feel old, doesn't it? 14,609 <laughs> days, please. Oh, I've had such a, it's just been, it's been, uh, yeah, memory, uh, memory lane or whatever you want to call it. But it's true, I was sitting in that, uh, that pew right there, putting the finishing touches on the largest butterfly collection in the world in my stomach. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you don't know what it's like to be just turned 31, sitting there waiting for the hymn of preparation to end because the president has already introduced you, and you're going to walk, and you had to climb into the pulpit in those days. You had to have oxygen masks just to kind of breathe. It was, it was like those old European pulpits. And uh, to open your mouth for the first time, I mean, all those memories are going through my mind as I'm sitting on the front row here. And I'm just saying, you know, thank you, Lord. Was I nervous? Are you kidding? I started becoming nervous three months earlier. On Friday, Friday, February 18, 1983, when I got a, living on the West Coast, East Salem, pastor in that church, I got a call from Arnold Kurtz, my professional mentor and a major seminary, a seminary a major professor. And he said, hey, Dwight, how you doing? Fine. Uh, are you preaching tomorrow? I said, I am. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on forgiveness. 
I said, why are you asking? He said, well, I just want to make sure you're not preaching on ingathering. I said, ingathering? Come on, Arnold. That's in the fall. No, come on. What's up? He said, well, uh, somebody's going to be in church tomorrow. So I was just checking. Blessings on you. Goodbye. <laughs> and I'm saying, what? That night, I called a friend of mine, also teaching in the seminary, Garth Thompson. He was my academy principal. And I said, yo, Garth, what's up? He said, nothing. I said, really? Well, why did Arnold Kurtz call me this morning and say somebody's going to be in church tomorrow? Garth said, well, I don't know. Maybe they're looking for a youth pastor. I said, oh, really? Okay. Well, okay. And before he hung up, he said, oh, by the way, John Cronkey is preaching his farewell sermon tomorrow. And when he said farewell sermon tomorrow, my stomach went into a three-month perpetual knot just like that. I'm t- ah, I knew what was up. And sure enough, the next morning, I'm leading out in worship at the East Salem Church. And during the opening hymn, a stranger steps in and sits on the back row. So I'm trying to kind of see who that stranger is. <laughs> oh, good night. That's, that's the university president, Grady Smoot. I'd seen him once before in my life when I walked across this platform and he shook my hand, giving me my MDiv degree. Oh, now I'm... Butterflies. Anyway, sure enough, at the b- b- closing hymn, last stanza, he just slips out and disappears. So I give the benediction, go to meet the saints as they're going out the door. I get to the door. I look into the parking lot. He's walking to his rental car. He's just getting to the rental car. He turns around like this, and our eyes connect, and I know they connected. A few days later, I get a letter from snail mail. The email had not been invented. No, that's true. It hadn't been invented then. In fact, they had just invented electricity. So, I mean, it was just a, it's a, it's a long time ago, I'm telling you. Forty years. Anyway, the letter, and I, I memorized it opening uh, salutation. My dear Dwight. He said, I am so Sorry. I was under strict orders not to have any communication with you, protocol. But by now you've heard we're looking for a new campus pastor. Oh, my. And then began three months of insomnia. I'm telling you the truth. Man. So I look at this. At the other day at the, the afternoon program, they played the first few clips of my, my uh, sermon, first sermon in the Pioneer Pulpit of leopards and lepers and other such spots. There are two factoids you don't know. I'm going to pass them on to you for what it's worth. Factoid number one is once I got that sermon written in, in, in uh, Salem, I recorded it onto a little cassette recorder. You don't know what that is, but you speak into it and it has this thing that goes around. And I recorded it, and then I played it back over and over and over and over as I'm driving around the parish, just listening to that. And the other factoid is that I couldn't fall asleep Friday night. True story. I could not sleep Friday night. Everybody in the house, including my principal and his wife, everybody, Kirk, Karen, I couldn't sleep. I tried everything, hot and cold water on my feet, nothing. I laid awake that whole night. That's what it meant to me to have the privilege the next morning of being able to step into this pulpit and open my mouth to a family that would become a church family like no other on earth. 
Now, if God had told us then, hey, boy, this is going to be about 40 years of your life, I'd have said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Are you serious? Nobody, of course, knew. In fact, when they flew Karen and me out, we got the call, as Karen mentioned the other day at the program, we got the call on April Fool's Day, Friday. It was a Friday. And they said, hey, Dwight, we're inviting you to come be the pastor of the uh, campus church. Come on out here, look at us, ask us questions. So we flew out. And it was another Friday, and we're sitting in the Lake Union office, the old building, and the top brass of the university, the Union Conference, the Michigan Conference, they're all there asking us questions. We're getting acquainted. And then all of a sudden, they ask a question. Karen and I had absolutely no clue they would ever even think to ask, and we never thought of it, about it ourselves. And they looked at me, and they said, yo, Dwight, uh, when you come, if you come, how long do you think you could stay? I looked at Karen just blank in her eyes, blank. We had been two years, nine months, two years, nine months, two years, nine months. So I said, okay, I'm going to go way out on a limb. And I looked at them and I said, if God blesses, we could stay probably five to seven years. And they looked at each other, smiled and nodded, and I said, that was the right answer. I'd know what the answer was going to be. So, oh my, it's unbelievable. Five to seven years. It's embarrassing. In fact, I'll tell you this. After we moved here, so May 14, we preached. Then we moved in the first of June from Oregon with all our earthly goods in the back of a pickup. And uh, John Cronkey, Dr. John Cronkey, the senior pastor of this church for almost 17 years, which was some sort of world record. He pays a social call on the whippersnapper that's taken his place, sitting behind his desk, standing behind his pulpit. I was terribly intimidated. Man. But he was gracious about it. We had a wonderful visit. And just before he left, he, 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 he leaned forward. He said, uh, Dwight, I, I have a bit of counsel to give you. Well, I'm all ears. So I lean a little forward and I say, John, what is it? He says... Don't do what I did. Don't stay too long. <laughs> and I leaned even further forward. said, John, John, trust me. I won't. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, my, my, my. So here we are looking at the next of the last Sabbath, but it's the actual day, the moment. And... Uh, we just love you for it. Karen and I love you. We love you to death. I kind of thought it was going to end up that way. <laughs> but it didn't. We lived too long. <laughs> anyway, we love you with all our hearts. You, you, you took in this little 31-year-old pastor with his 31-year-old wife and three-year-old boy, and you just started loving on us, and you've been so compassionate, you've been so tolerant, you've been so patient, you've put up with a lot, but uh, there is no way. Look, at life is changing. Your life is going to change. Our life is going to change. Everything changes, but what will never change is the way our hearts will hold our love for you this tight throughout all eternity. We thank you for the privilege for eternity, the privilege you gave us to serve in this capacity. What I'm going to do right now, I have all I, the word-for-word script. It's written on a typewriter with black and red ribbon. 
You don't know what that means. <laughs> but I wrote a prayer. So after this lengthy introduction, like I've just done, uh, before we begin, let's pray. So I have the words written right there in case my mind goes blank. So I'm going to read to you the prayer I prayed, the first prayer I ever prayed into a microphone in the Pioneer Memorial Church. I'm going to pray it right now. Couldn't get through it in first service, but I'm going to steal for it now. All right? Father of this family, Lord of this word, through this living encounter, speak to us. Hide these two lips and these many hearts in the shadow of Jesus' presence, whose voice we have come to hear, in whose name we listen. Amen. Amen. Like the slide says, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come for you. The best is yet to come for me. The best is yet to come for all of us. You say, Dwight, you can't prove that. You just cannot prove that. I can prove it. You'll see. You know the story backwards and forwards. But because I know Jesus, I know that is true. Because Jesus is there, his mother is there, his disciples are there. It's a village just like Berrien Springs, and they're going to have a big celebration because they're going to have a wedding. Like weddings have taken place in this little village church of Berrien Springs for 40 years now. They're going to have a big wedding. But in the day, as you well know, these events could be prolonged for, for up to a week. I would like that, Father of the Bride. My. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Got prolonged. They ran out of refreshments. No wine. Bad news. F.F. Bruce, the great New Testament commentator, to run short before it was due to end, speaking of this little mini-crisis, was a serious blow, particularly damaging to the reputation of the host. Mary may well have had some responsibility for catering. At any rate, she knew that in such a crisis, she could not do better than to call upon her son's resourcefulness. Now, watch this. Probably she had learned by experience that to draw his attention to a need was a sure way of getting something done. By the way, that last line is true. Some of you have a huge need. You need Jesus to step in your life right now. There's something going on, and it's not, it's not pretty. I want you to know that that line is absolutely true. If you will bring that to his attention, he can do something about it. Hold it to yourself. Not willing to fold them, but hold them. No. You go on. You go on with that need unmet. Wow. So you know the story. In fact, when the wine was gone, this is John 2, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Mary appears twice in the gospel of John. The fourth gospel, she appears twice, once in Canaan, once at Calvary, once at a wedding, once on the cross. And both times, Jesus calls her woman. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. Don't you dare call your mother and say, yo, woman, how you doing? You can't do that. The culture has totally changed in two millennia. 
The Greek word that is used is a title of, uh, of great respect, uh, madam or milady if you're from the UK. What, what, what does this have to do with me? It's not my hour. You know it was spoken with tenderness. But the whole point is this. Jesus never calls his mother, mother. Not in John. Mm -mm. Why? Oh, Craig Keener, another brilliant and still living uh, New Testament commentator. She, Mary, approached him not as her son, but as a miracle worker. He replies, not as her son, but as her Lord. The boundaries must not be broken. You need to understand who I am. Yes, I'm your boy, and you're my mother, but I'm your Lord. Do you understand that about me? I'm your Lord. Oh, I got it. Story goes on. His mother said to the servants, hey, do whatever he tells you. If you're wrestling right now with something Jesus has told you, and you say, nah, nah, maybe, no, nah, that is, a, that is the great success line of life. If you do what he tells you, you'll find ultimate success. Do what he tells you, she tells the servants. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Whoa. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew this was water. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You know why? Because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. You asked me to prove it? I just did. Amen. Let's just iso that line. I want you to see it. But you have saved the best till now. My, oh, my, oh, my. With Jesus. How's that go? With Jesus. The best is always yet to come. By the way, that's been, that's been the prevailing truth in the universe from in the beginning. In fact, in the beginning, this little hunk of rock, third rock from the from the sun, as we like to think of the earth, this little hump, humble hunk of rock is in a no-name solar system doing nothing until the creator of the universe walks by and after seven days turns it into the garden hotspot of the universe. Why? Because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Abraham and, Abram and Sarai were just another infertile Middle Eastern couple. Until he came along and said, I want to tell you something. Abraham had a hard time sinking his mind into this. I'm going to make your descendants like the stars of heaven. The entire planet will be blessed because of you. How could that be? Because with Jesus, the best is yet to come. He comes by, by a Midian shepherd. He says, go let my people go. And under the cover of dark, under the blood of that midnight escape, Moses leads the children of Israel to freedom. 
And God is promising them, when this is over, you're going you're gonna to move into a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Because the best is yet to come. It's always been that way. Even when Israel exiled themselves into rebellion in Babylon, Jeremiah dashes off a line from God to the exiles locked in captivity. These words read just a moment ago, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God speaking, for I know the plans I have for you. And he's talking to you, girl. He's talking to you, boy, right now. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. I don't care what's happening in your life right now. I'm going to prosper you. You just got to stay with me. You quit too soon. Stay with me. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How can that be? Because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. That's why. I'm telling you, we're not just bumping into some little inconsequential revelation from the universe. This is the truth of the universe. No matter what predicament you're going through right now, and some of you are in a real pickle, no matter what terrible misfortune or awful suffering has descended upon you, whether you're fighting your way into a divorce or you're battling your way out of a disease, it doesn't matter. Do not give up. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. This boy's going to be a preacher one day. That's the only reason children come forward, because they're being called by God to be preachers. And so, and this is going to be a, a, the mother of a preacher. <laughs> Precious. Yep. Never give up. Why? Because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. There's some here I know that are getting ready to, re to retire. I don't know who they are, but God be with you. And you need to know this is not only a, a promise for this sweet by and by. This is not a promise for eternity. This is a promise for the now and now. Existentially, your existence right now. This is a promise for you. Right now. It's not mañana. It's now. I came across, uh, you know, I read a psalm a day. And about 17 days ago, I was in Psalm 92 because I was in Psalm 109 this morning. Came across these words. Oh, listen to these words. Psalm 92, verse 12, and then verse 14. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green. Well, I got a big amen in first service, and you know why. Because <laughs> it was for us. This isn't for you. This is for us. Man, oh man, they will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green. And then I scribbled some time ago in the cycle of reading through this, I came across these words in a book called The Retirement Years. And I want to share the line with you. The Retirement Years, if you will unite willingly with the Lord in this work, your last days will be your brightest and best. Take that to the bank. Take that to God. I want my last days to be my brightest and my best. You want that and I want that. Why not? I see my friend Peter here. Haven't seen Peter in a long time, Peter. Good to have you come out today. I saw you coming in. Yeah, just a theologian that's 
in his mid-80s now. The best is yet to come even for Peter. God bless you, Peter. Yep, your last days will be your brightest and best. Wow. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that everything ahead is going to be hunky-dory. Let's be clear about that. That doesn't mean no potholes in the road, no detours, no precipices. That is not what this is saying. This is saying in spite of what life is like on this planet, God will bring you through it. Yeah, you got flat tires. That engine is going to blow. But don't give up. God's got the solution, and he gets you through. Wow. Why? Because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. There's only one word in the... There's, there's one word, I could say only, one word in the English language that summarizes this, this line. With Jesus, the best is yet to come. And that one word is H-O-P-E, hope. That's the word. This is all about hope. Hope. You got hope. When you confess that the best is yet to come with Jesus, you are making a confession of hope. Because somewhere in the Bible, there is a line that goes like this. He has placed eternity in our hearts. Eternity. There is something numinous inside of us that believes, that dares to believe. Maybe you don't quite believe yet, but that dares to believe that this is not it. This is not all. This is not the end. There's something better coming. You couldn't tell it by my life today, but there's something better coming. Somebody's put that, planted that eternity in our hearts so that we won't let go. So we'll hold on. Come on. John Eldridge, in his wonderful book, The Journey of Desire, boy, he nails it here. Something in us longs, hopes, maybe even at times believes that this is not the way things were supposed to be. Our desire fights the assault of death upon life. How true. And so people with terminal illnesses get married. Prisoners in a concentration camp plant flowers. Lovers long divorced still reach out in the night to embrace one who is no longer there. At some deep level, we refuse to accept the fact that this is the way things are or must be or always will be. No. Eternity has been planted in our hearts, and something dares to believe the best is yet to come. Don't ever let go of that belief, ever. No matter what's happened to you, don't let go. I came across these words some years ago reading Christianity Today, and boy, something clicked when I read these words. The author, Harry Blamires, if only we could have the positives of earthly life without the negatives. But that is precisely what heaven has to offer, the removal of the negatives. Keep reading. Here below, time withers flowers and human beauty. It encourages good intentions to evaporate. It deprives us of our loved ones. Within the universe ruled by time, the happiest marriage ends in death. The loveliest woman becomes a skeleton. Fading and aging, losing and failing, being deprived and being frustrated. These are negative aspects of life in time. Life in eternity will liberate us from all loss, all deprivation. Can I get an amen for that? All loss, all deprivation, gone. The best is coming. 
And it's the best of the best. So don't let go. And what's the best of the best? That something is a someone. And that someone is the one who on the eve of his execution, in hours, he will die an excruciating death pinned between heaven and earth. That night before, this someone made a promise that you must never forget. And in fact, if you call yourself an Adventist, these are, the, these are the most beloved words next to John 3.16 in the entire Scripture. John 14, on the eve of his execution. In fact, I want us to repeat these words together. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what's the next? What are those four words? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I will come again. Those four words prove the truth. That with Jesus, the best is yet to come because Jesus is yet to come. That's it. That's it. H-O-P-E. You have it. His promise. Hold on to it. Don't ever let it go. Wow. So I suppose the question, as I draw to an end now, I suppose the question is, Are you ready for Jesus to come? No, I'm serious. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Hmm? Back in January, early one morning, I grabbed my yellow pad and scribbled down these words. Got them right here. I scribbled down in pencil, Jesus is coming soon. And then I put a little, you know, pointy the bottom of that, and then I scribbled, sooner than we think. And then the words, are we ready? Are we personally ready? I mean, you and me. Are we collectively ready? Corporately, institutionally, are we ready for him to come? Does the way we live does the way we work, does the way we play, does the way we entertain, does the way we socialize, could you tell it by the way we live? Does it reflect our cognizance of our mission to make ready a people prepared for the Lord? Does it reflect our cognizance of our condition, the culture around us and the culture inside of us? Are we ready for Jesus to come? Put it another way, and I, my scribbling continues here. If he were to show up tonight, tonight, and sit down beside us, beside that laptop, 
Beside that big screen, beside that gaming console, if he were to show up tonight, would he conclude we are eagerly waiting for him? Are you ready for Jesus to come? I'm asking you. For 40 years, I've wondered about me. And I've wondered about us. One of these days, God's going to run out of 40s. It's over. Sorry. Oh, by the way, the drunk that swerves into your lane. And that's the end for you. Jesus just came. That was Jesus coming for you. So don't give me this, well, I'm looking for something to happen out there on the horizon, and then I'll get ready. You're a fool if you do that. You could be dead tonight. Come on. You get the point. If the best is yet to come, if the best is soon to come, am I, are you, are we ready for Jesus to come? And so I'm going to end with an appeal today. My last one, maybe. Because getting ready for Jesus is really very simple. It's not rocket science. It's conscience. That's the word science with con in front of it. Because that's inside of you. You already know. You already know how to be ready for Jesus. In the long shot, you have no clue let me just say, it's just throwing, throwing your life open. Jesus, you may come into my heart right now. Whatever that means, however you do it, just come into my life. I receive you as, as my Savior. I receive you as my Master. Come into my life. That's it. If you mean it, that's it. The conscience is what says, get it out. Get that out of here. Take it out. What Jesus did in the temple, right after this story, take it out, get it out. This does not belong. That's what the conscience does. You'll be fine. The conscience will not kill you. The conscience is the voice of God to help you, to draw you. You have nothing to be afraid of. The best is yet to come. But do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Can't play a game with him. No. You want a miracle in your life? Do whatever he tells you. Then you get your miracle. So, you're watching on the screen right now. I'm talking to you too. You know exactly what I'm saying. You know exactly what your conscience is saying to you right now. Obey. Do whatever he tells you. Obey it. You'll be fine. Because the best is yet to come. You lose nothing. You gain everything. So, I want you to sit back and be thinking, what, do I, what, what should I say to Jesus about being ready to come right now? What should I tell him? Oh, I think you know what to tell him. Tell him. 